Welcome to Help from Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to a very special episode of Help from Future Self. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, but you can call me Alex. Everybody else does. I am joined, as always, by my Keyforge pals, my Keyforge chums, my Keyforge compadres. We got the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Yo, what's up, all? He's the heart and soul of this podcast, and we've got the coach, the man who makes it all happen. It's my buddy, Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, what's going on, guys? It's a special episode because this is the 52nd episode of our weekly podcast, which officially makes this our one-year anniversary. Guys, could you believe that we were going to do a year of podcast when we first sat down to do this? Honestly, I did. <laughs> <laughs> If the if the game was still going, we'd still be going. Yeah, it's it's weird to think that it's been a year because it it really doesn't feel that long. That's the that's what's kind of weird about it. It's like it's hard to believe that this was a year ago, which means my I've I've only been playing KeyForge for roughly over a year now, which is also weird to think about. And yet, you're one of the leading voices in the community. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Here, hanging out over uh, with United Archons participating in all kinds of stuff, writing articles for FFG. It's been quite a journey for you and I think for all of us. Yeah, definitely. It's been it's been a fun year. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I look forward to doing many more podcasts about this game, but uh, we, we have a pretty fun episode planned out. We're going to be continuing with our discussion of uh, houses with some discussion about the Saurians and the Grand Star Alliance coming up. But uh, being that this is a one-year anniversary episode, we're going to have some games and some other stuff that harken back to the history of Help from Future Self. Uh, but first, let's get things started with a little bit of news. Shadow Worlds, the uh, finale of it, went down this past weekend. Um, I have not watched any recaps of the final matches. Basically, right after the end of Shadow Worlds, the folks behind KIP tournaments have decided to shut the platform down, and it is kaput as of as of right now. Um, if you go to KIPtournaments.com, there is a statement, a very complete statement from the folks behind KIP tournaments, so Grant Titus, obviously, as well as Eric Taylor, Jason Bargender, and Jared Kerstetter. Um, it's got some statistics about the tournaments that they hosted and various other things, as well as a nice fact that I think lays out uh, sort of the the reasoning behind everything and how it went down. It's a shame. Um, it sucks to lose the platform. I know that we've been playing a lot of games on KIP tournaments for our weekly local events um, uh, while they were online. Um, it was a nice, stable platform. It had some very interesting features that uh, made it very distinct from TCO. But uh, I, I think they lay out the reasoning behind this fairly well, which is by and large that the folks behind it, uh, you know, were not sort of wanting to be in the business of running tournaments and running a platform, um, especially where there's other things that they wanted to de dedicate their energy to. So thank you to them for having put together that platform. Um, I will be missing KIP tournaments, certainly. Oh, yeah, me too. I, I absolutely loved it, and I appreciate everything Grant did to make that happen. He, uh, he really made a really smooth experience. I mean, uh, there's no question about it, being able to follow something like the crucible online you got to see some of the pitfalls that may have existed you hear what people maybe did not like about it and it was uh he took it upon himself to create something that was an improvement on that so uh, kudos to him for doing that and creating uh, such a great place to play a lot of variant formats that were not available in other places it was a it was a really fun experience it definitely was i'm gonna miss it as well yeah um, uh, important distinction here is that uh, he, uh, whoever wrote the fact here makes a distinct point of saying that FFG or Asmodee did not force, ask, advise, or otherwise 
suggest that they should take KIP tournaments down. Straight up. They just say that's not the case. This isn't what this is about. So those who were sort of like talking about uh, the the tabletop simulator and what happened to the Keyforge uh, uh, that was available on there and that being shut down, probably due to legal threat by uh, the companies that own the rights to Keyforge, this is not related to that. At least as far as we know. And uh, I certainly have no reason not to take them at their word. All right, gents. Moving on from that bit of news, it's time for a segment. We're bringing it back. It's been a while since we played any games on the podcast. I'm really excited for this one. And this one is a very special help from future self. Would you rather? Let me lay it out for you, fellas. The three of us are sitting down at a local tournament. And the format of the tournament is sealed. And each one of us has to play a deck from a specific set. And you have to choose who's going to be playing the deck based on nothing other than just what set it's from. So, all things being equal, the three of us sit down with an AOA, a Coda, and a Worlds Collide sealed deck in front of us. Who are you going to pick to play each set? I'm going to throw it to you first, Blake. Who would you have play Coda? Who would you have play AOA? And who would you have play Worlds Collide? I feel like Rick would get the Worlds Collide deck because he's been playing so much Worlds Collide lately. But I also feel like a Coda, Rick and Coda are like, they go hand in hand. I think you've had your most success with Coda decks, Rick. Me and Coda were best buds. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think I'm going to lead towards Rick getting the Coda deck. Um, and then I think I'd like to give you the AOA deck, Alex, because I've noticed you've really championed AOA recently. Mm-hmm. And then I think I would take the Worlds Collide. Interesting. Interesting. What about you, Rick? Who would, amongst us, the three of us, Team Help from Future Self, would you assign each set to? I would definitely take Coda. As soon as you said the sets and who would take it, my original thought was Blake taking AOA. But I do remember you saying a lot lately that you've been running AOA. Mm-hmm. So I might as I might give that to you as well. I'm not I would have a toss up there. But I think Blake would get that and you would get Worlds Collide. All right. Interesting, interesting. I was thinking long and hard about this one, and I think that I could make a case for any one of us taking any set if I had to. But if I thought that it was like a sealed environment, we had no knowledge of the decks and we had to dream team this. I think that I would go Worlds Collide to myself, AOA to Blake, because Blake, no matter what that deck is, I have confidence in your ability to be able to figure out what it does and run with it on the fly. And Coda to you, Rick, because of your confidence with that set and your knowledge of that set and the fact that you've played so many different styles of deck in that Coda era, I feel like that would be very easy for you to slide into that position and worlds collide. Like I would do my best with it, but that would be my thinking. I think uh, each one of those, but I mean, if you were to turn around and say, you know, Blake could do just as well with worlds collide or better, I wouldn't disagree with you. I, I think each of us has something, a connection to each of the sets. It just, this particular thought experiment made me consider the way that each of us approaches the game and what each individual set might interact with each one of us as a player in certain ways, which I thought made it kind of a fun, would you rather? I will say that as much as I don't understand the AOA card pool, I will definitely say that I had my luck in AOA. I pulled three time traveler decks. 
Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, you loved your. You were like the. You're like a horseshoe when it came to cracking the time travelers in AOA. Yeah. I I will say like it's interesting that you say me choosing AOA because uh, now that I like really think about looking back because I think I had my most success in tournaments was during the AOA period. So it's uh, it's interesting that you chose that because that that might be an accurate thing based on like my own record with a set. Yeah, I, I also feel like if if it was down to it and you and I were playing just like random AOA decks, I feel like you would understand, like your understanding of the way AOA works is so much better than mine in so many ways. Like some of the times we've had discussions about strategy with certain AOA decks and it just, it clicks for you in a way that it never has for me, despite the fact that I love AOA. And one of the reasons that I feel like I've been gravitating towards it is that you know, to, to quote our friends over at Call of Discovery, that sense of discovery of playing it is still there, even though it's an older set that we played the heck out of while it was out. There is the part of me now where I'm like, man, I want to see if I can get like things to click and work the way that I've seen these new top level AOA decks that have emerged uh, that I never really understood at the time that they were first out. So kind of kind of a fun way to, to perceive it. But it's not all retrospective here on Help from Future Self. It is all about the future, and it's all about help, and we are all about talking about current goings-on, and there are no goings-on more current than Worlds Collide, and the two new houses associated with that set, the Grand Star Alliance and the Saurians. Gentlemen, are you excited to get into this? I am. Oh, yeah. Unlike the other houses that we've done these discussion episodes on, we don't have three sets worth of card pool to look back on when it comes to the Saurians and the Star Alliance. All we have is what's in Worlds Collide. Um, obviously, there's some spoilers out there for Mass Mutation, but we really want to focus on the cards that we've played and the impact that they've had on the game, which I'd say is pretty considerable. I want to start things off with just a, a straight-up question to both of you, which is, have there ever been houses as immediately powerful and playable in Keyforge before Star Alliance and the Saurians? I don't think so. I mean, I've always been a fan of Untamed, and I've always thought, well, correction, I've usually thought they were good. <laughs> I have some crap Untamed. But yeah, they, Saurians and Star Alliance have definitely made a fast and big impact. Mm -hmm. I think that um, they're comparable to some of the Coda houses, because you had, like, I, I think not all of them, but I would say probably like Code of Shadows, maybe. Mm -hmm. And as well, potentially you could make the argument for the, like Rick said, the Coda Untamed, I think might have had that, you know, just instant impact play sort of uh, quality to it. Because, I mean, I, I, for me personally, I think that we are seeing this first set uh, almost overpowered quality because if you look at what happened with call of the archons and what's mm -hmm. happened since then i think we're gonna this is a, a similar thing and it may just be uh you're seeing these interact for the first time and it's something new and maybe as a designer you don't want something new to fall flat on its face so you make sure that it's going to come out of the gate swinging just to give that extra oomph and excitement to to all the players and i think that's what we might be seeing here Mm -hmm. I would agree with that statement. I think a big part of it for me is uh, I agree that the comparison to Coda Era Shadows is very apt because as I was considering this question, thinking like, what is it about Star Alliance and the Saurians that make them so great, make them so consistent, where it's more often that you will open a good to very good house in either of them 
uh, rather than an average to maybe sub average as you might with some other houses. What is it that sets them apart? What is it that gives them that consistency? And it's very simple. It's card pool. Looking at the cards in the Saurians and the Grand Star Alliance, there are so few duds. Like, it is actually ridiculous how consistent so many of the cards are in this set. Like, if I start thinking about what are the bad Star Alliance cards, like, you actually have to think pretty hard to come up with more than a couple, like more than a handful. You know, Amber Tracker, not great. Uh, then, you know, like, um, I think it's, what's, what's the one, uh, so salt is maybe the one from Saurians. Yeah. I yeah. Think about. yeah. I'm not a fan of that one. Exactly. <laughs> but like, we're sitting here, we're people who play Keyforge constantly, who are intimately familiar with this card pool. And like between the three of us, we're all just kind of going like, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, so salt. Isn't that great? Uh, good of the many's a little bit fiddly. And yeah. those are like one or two cards out of each of the houses that we can point to. And the rest of it's kind of gravy. And when we say gravy, like some of them are good and some of them are great. And then the interactions come in. And that's really what sets these houses apart, especially with Saurian. But I think also to a certain degree with the Star Alliance, the interrelatability of the cards and the different combos that are possible with them. Yeah, I, th- I think it's also the the straight up play abilities like as soon as they leave your hand they're creating an impact in one way or another mm-hmm. whether it's a threat that needs to be dealt with whether it's a play ability i think that is the main difference we're seeing with these two houses compared to what we've seen in the past with some of the the other houses i will say i think for star alliance um nurse soto and moon are the weaker links for that I actually love Moon. I, I never truly appreciated Moon until you play with it a bit. But with the way being able to rearrange someone's battle line, not just move a card, it's like completely rearrange it the way you want. I think it actually has way more value and is kind of an underrated card. That's my feeling because I, I just think that, you know, like with all the taunts and battle line, like, like putting the right stuff on the outside and things like that. I mean, you could do a really cool thing, play a Moon rearrange your opponent's battle line to put like their fattest creatures with ember for example on the ends and then kirby kaimor eclipse you could do some cool things that way i i I really think that that moon is just uh you don't see it that often but it's a great utility card uh, at the right time yeah maybe that's my problem i haven't seen it very much it's also one of those things that I think it very much benefits from being in the set where there's so many ways that you might want to like, oh, I want to move this over to this next to, you know, this yeah. character that gives uh, its neighbors hazardous or this character with taunt or I want to move that creature away from those defenses on my opponent's side and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I Just looking at Star Alliance, um, in as much as I think that the Saurians are probably have a little bit of an edge just in terms of big power, some of the intricacy of what you can do with Star Alliance is absolutely unparalleled in Keyforge up to this point. Uh, we're talking about things like Calm Officer Kirby that allows you, like you said, Blake, that playability right out the gate. He's giving you the ability to play a non-Star Alliance artifact upgrade or action, which is both I'm playing an extra card this turn and I'm drawing in an extra card next turn as well as I'm housebreaking. Like, that's incredible. It's amazing. It's so useful. Same way that they have, uh, you know, CXO Tabor and Commander Chan allowing similar abilities as well as some artifacts like uh, a Universal Translator. Um, you know, not to mention the blasters providing extra value to all of your cards, all of the upgrades they have. And, you know, 
the, the interaction of Star Alliance with other houses is a huge part of what makes Star Alliance so great. I think it was you, Blake, who very early on pointed out that Star Alliance is like it's the true Alliance house. It's the mm-hmm. house that lets you get more value out of all your other houses. Well, it's interesting. It's the first time we've actually seen in the game of Keyforge where you're basically have the potential to just call one house and not call anything else. And like you said, it's because of Kirby, but also because of um, Spears. When Helmsman Spears, like everyone knows you got to get rid of Spears. If you don't, they're just going to cycle through their deck and only mm. play Star Alliance. And and it became like very quickly, like people realize that you need to deal with that card or you're just going to get to cycle to what you need very easily. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the interesting balancing things about the Star Alliance is that their bodies aren't huge. Yes. Um, the biggest Star Alliance creature is at five power. Uh, you get a tie between Je- Val Jericho and Lieutenant Karkar. Um, both of the five is pretty beefy, and Karkar also has Taunt and Hazardous, which makes him extremely hard to take off the table, except by direct removal or some other tricksy stuff. Uh, but uh, I think that the sort of the the fact that you have all these super impactful cards on play or creatures on play means that there's also like solutions to them, which I think is an interesting balancing act, which is not necessarily an argument that I would make for the Saurians. Speaking of the Saurians, looking at their card pool, I've complained and I'll be honest about it, about sort of what I perceive as being a lot of overpowered Saurian cards. Um, I think that now that we're a little bit further on through the set, we've seen a lot of counters to that, and we've seen a lot of ways to work around it that perhaps weren't as apparent when I was really riled up about it. But I do think it's worth discussing the fact that the Saurians have one of the most powerful tool sets in pretty much every regard, if you want to break Keyforge down to creatures, artifacts, upgrades, and actions, the Saurians are pretty lit in every single one of those categories. Yeah, I will agree. Yes, and not just the Saurians, but both of these houses, I think the common trait that makes them so powerful is that they have very high-quality common cards. Mm. And the fact that they're common means you see them more frequently and we we talked about this last week with Brobnar how there is a lack of quality common cards and then you have the 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 reverse of that here where you have an abundance of quality common cards and then you get to like the uncommons and rares and they're just like ridiculous but i mean you have everything you need with the dinos they're like i said very strong commons they create big boards and they literally do everything you know how some houses like they're going to focus on on one aspect not the Saurians. They have a ton of Ember control in different ways. Mm-hmm. They have ways to enrage, ways to exalt, ways to ward. So they have all those things exist. They have the capture mechanic. And not only that, they're one of two houses that stop stealing. So Exactly. That's a that's a pretty powerful thing because we never had a true steel stop. This is this is a new thing that came in Worlds Collide, and Logos is the only other house that has one card. Where in in Saurians, there's two cards that do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just it, when you stop to think about it, it's like and one of the reasons that I think Saurian is actually a very fun house to play for all my complaints about them is that there's so much variety because of the diversity and strength of that card pool. Like I've played Saurian decks 
that were all about just like that super stally capture. Like they didn't have the super big bodies and they didn't have all like the mega tricks, but they had a ton of things that allowed you to really like control the amber in the game. And yeah, eventually some of it went back to your opponent, but if you got far enough ahead, it wouldn't matter. I'm thinking things like City Gates, Crassosaurus, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, what numerous creatures when they hit the table capture amber which is super fantastic we're also talking about the fact that their upgrades immediately allow a lot of risk to get taken out of the exalt and the capture mechanic which is pretty incredible that said there are also great saurian combat decks decks that have creatures that just allow you to get busy i'm thinking of things like uh, grimlocculus ducks i'm thinking about cincinnatus rex i'm thinking about all those big saurian bodies centurion stenopolis and brutodon auxiliary they're great cards, and they can even be supported by other creatures that allow you to be buffed based on captured or exalted amber, which is truly incredible. Like, it is a very, very powerful set. And one of the things about it is those big bodies, despite being great for combat, are also great for protecting that captured and controlled amber, which is one of the things that can make them so incredibly frustrating to play against. They, they single-handedly created a shift in removal because... With things like uh, Perfectus Ludo and all the Captured Ember, it, it kind of, in a way, diminished the destroyed side of things. Mm. And it took that card of Nature's Call to a whole nother level where you're like, wow, this great card just became even better because of the utility it has. And then on top of it, it made Hysteria just like one of the greatest cards because of your ability to lift like a whole dino board and potentially get just like four keys worth of Ember potentially like there's all these crazy ways i'm exaggerating obviously but there's all these ways that now the destroyed aspect of the game has changed and it's just really fascinating to see these two houses with the way they shifted but especially the dinos it completely shifted the game though and the way that we chose to play and go about making decisions it wasn't just this set it was actually the the fact that these houses existed in this set mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I also cannot let this go without saying this because I was thinking about this real hard going into this episode. You hate I, tribute? Uh, I hate tribute, but that's not <laughs> something I want to belabor uh, with this point. It is certainly one of the most powerful Ambrose Control cards that's ever been printed, and I will be shocked if it stays in print. Um, uh, they, they probably won't nerf it at this point, though. Um, w- with that said, is that both Star Alliance and the Saurians have the best artifact game in Keyforge. Um untamed very like coda untamed is pretty good because you've got nepenthe seed and a few other very choice cards but if i look at all of the star alliance artifacts we've got my beloved quixel stone we got book of lek that potentially allows you to take another turn right away we've got general order 24 transporter platform uncharted uh lands peace accord there's no duds there that's all gold the worst thing that you can say about a Saurian artifact is that it might be auto-legionary, which is still not bad, but it's not a patch on their other great artifacts. We're talking about the Colosseum, a great and super easy to pull off key cheat. City Gates, great amber control, the Golden Spiral that lets you take lots of extra actions at the expense of some exaltation. Imperial Road that lets you house cheat every single turn with an Omni effect. And Library of Polisaurus, like... It's, it's all gold with these artifacts. I would love it if Keyforge moved towards a system of fewer artifacts, but every single artifact is impactful. I would love to see that as an ongoing design philosophy. No, I, th- I think you're right about artifacts. The The only house that I think even comes close, and you could make an argument, is maybe uh, Dees 
Coda. They had like, I mean, if you think about Lash, Kitadis, Screaming Cave, uh, you also have uh, the Library of Babel and Dominator Bobble, all those things. Like those were all like, that is easily making a, a case for some of the best artifacts as well, I think. Like they yeah. didn't have any duds either. Yeah, you're, you're right on that one. Uh, I would love to see this kind of consistency in future sets um, mm-hmm. just because every time Especially that I- Especially in Untamed. Mm, yeah, they have some duds. Like the Nepeta Gigantica, what's that all about? What's that for? Why doesn't that have an... If, if Transporter Platform and Quixel Stone can have a pip of amber, then Nepetica Gigantica certainly should have had a pip of amber. Yeah, I don't get that one. Yeah, very strange. Um, One day I'm going to have... You know what? If we ever make merch, I want a Help From Future Self t-shirt that says, why did this get a pip of amber? Just that <laughs> question, because that is the question that I constantly find myself asking yeah. when we talk about card pool. Um. We, of course, obviously know some stuff about the future because there's mass mutation spoilers out there. We don't want to discuss those spoilers on the show. So let me ask you this question, Blake, just as we're, we're sort of getting towards the end of this segment. Do you feel that either of these houses needs to have their power level tamped down a little bit going into future sets? Or would you just prefer to see everything raised up to their level? I mean, I don't see how you lower it because that's not fun and then it doesn't compete with what existed mm. before. So I think you have to see an elevation and things brought up. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like Worlds Collide did something. It showed a side of the game that we had not seen before. And um, there could be, I mean, there must always be this this se- sense of of check and balance and it's and it's a matter of how they choose to balance it. But we, we saw, I think, some of the most enjoyable balance Keyforge exists within Worlds Collide. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there was the the Brobnar in the room, which which caused some things to occasionally not work out that way. But, I mean, a lot of the times, if you had Saurians, Star Alliance, Dis, or Logos, if you had any combination of those four houses, you probably had a pretty solid deck that was that was uh, fun to play and enjoyable, and even sometimes having some shadows in there as well didn't really diminish things. So that's that's more than half of the houses that you were not disappointed to see in your deck. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with you on that one. What about you? What What are your thoughts? Um, you know what? There's the part of me that says that uh, the Saurians should get a nerf, but I think what actually is is I just want tribute to get nerfed. <laughs> I, I think what we'll see is is everything else rise up and maybe some of those those other like maybe star star lions and the dinos go down a little bit. But I think I think if you brought everything up so they competed on a similar level, you wouldn't feel the same way because right now there's there's a a lack of of par between everything. So that disparity between them is kind of what makes you go, oh, this feels powered. It's because when you have the other things at your disposal, they're not creating the same uh, effect. But if you raise those up and they were creating the same effect, you wouldn't feel that way. Like if you had Coda, I mean, it's kind of weird saying like Coda Shadows because Coda Shadows, I think, within the Worlds Collide meta would not do the same thing mm-hmm. based on the cards we have now. So I just think if you see that uh, change, it's it's interesting. And I mean, I've played a little bit of the Mass Mutations deck and I've had some experience with the Shadows. And I got to say the Shadows came up to a level that I was like, this is fun. It's got some silliness to it. It's It's got like that... It feels like you're playing the Worlds Collide houses that I enjoyed, but you're playing Shadows now. Like I feel like they they may have found this this cool um, balance in mass mutations, and and we'll just have to see when you, you know open fifty decks if that's still the case. 
Mm -hmm. Very excited, even though, of course, as we all know, due to everything going on in the world, that the set has been pushed back. I cannot wait to get those decks in my hands uh, and to really see what kind of changes have happened. I would be, I would probably be happy if the flavor that we got from Worlds Collide that is so represented by the success of Saurians and Star Alliance was a philosophy for the game going forward. That level of fun, that level of interactivity, that level of power, that level of feeling like there's a lot of thought that has to go into being successful. It's not just having the hot deck. It's also, you know, you can't just play cards anymore. You have to engineer the board. You have to engineer the game state in order to get maximum value out of all your best stuff. That would be a thing that I would love to see going forward. Agreed. All right. Cannot wrap up an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one is called Help from Future Self. Self. Very, very special one this week. We have got some spoilers. So if you do not want to hear about never before seen Keyforge cards that are going to be coming about in the next set. You're going to want to either skip ahead a couple minutes, ride that skip 30 button on your podcast app, or just tune out and we'll see you next week because we're about to give you two cards that you're going to see in mass mutation that have never been heard from before. Blake, why don't you kick us off? Just want to give a shout out to uh, our man Vincent. Uh, so, in case some of you do not know the reason why these exist, and uh, there were some kind folks over in Europe who gave a bunch of content creators some never before seen cards to spoil, uh, spreading the love and giving us all a little bit of support and excitement to talk about. And um, so, there was basically kind of a uh, target pre release, so to speak, existed in Europe now where they're <laughs> English two-player sets it looks like got sent out to some people ahead of time which is quite interesting i wonder if this was done intentionally to even out the fact that north america or more so the u.s got a a early release and now they're letting europe have an early release i don't know if that's a thing or if this is just a, a huge kerfuffle but as a result we were the recipients of two cards now you saw the picture with the episode tweet out earlier today saying that it was released in the reply. And you may have noticed that picture looks quite interesting. And this card is a Shadows card called Splinter with one power. And the only text it has is one new ability and some flavor text. And the ability is Enhance and it has six damage icons. That means six damage icons was put throughout your deck which is quite interesting and then it has the flavor text which was the spoiler for this he doesn't cut any slack now you may have noticed this picture looks very familiar especially nostalgic to you if you were a 90s kid because that literally looks like shredder from the ninja turtles and master splinter rolled into one character you got the helmet that looks the same you got that purple cape and then he doesn't cut any slack which is literally a line from the, the theme TMNT song of theme song yeah yeah so i was super stoked about this and really happy that we got this one uh, i don't know how amazing this card is by itself it feels kind of like a really nice flavor and fun uh nostalgia kind of uh trip down memory lane thing but it seems that if it gives this many enhancements to other cards that's why it's in this deck so it's kind of almost like a dead card that's providing a lot of value to your other cards and your whole deck as a whole so kind of an interesting proposition what do you think about that alex um 
It's an interesting one because six damage, the question to me is how impactful will that be on the game? I mean, it's going to ping wards. It's going to take one power creatures off the table. Will there be enough wards and enough one power creatures on the table for that to be worthwhile? Being or one six power creature. Or one, well, I mean, but you have to play the cards that have it could all be on icons. one. It could be on one one. You oh, never that's know. That's true. That's true. Um, I guess my my actually, I, uh, I guess it wouldn't because there's a maximum of five on one card. Yeah, so. exactly. So, but I mean, five's not nothing. It's it's conceivable. Yeah. I will be interested to see how this plays out in practice. Um, uh, I think it is will- a rare, so you won't see it often. But I mean, flavor wise, it's hard to beat. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that he's a mutant. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we have another one from the discussed in this episode, House Saurian. It's Nero Taurus, six power creature. He's a dinosaur politician, and he has a very cool suite of powers. So here's the deal with Nero Taurus. His fight power is enemy creatures cannot reap during your opponent's next turn. His reap power is enemy creatures cannot fight during your opponent's next turn. This guy's must kill instantly. Six power, though. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes it interesting. You throw this guy down on your very first turn, ooh, that's going to be an uncomfortable board state. Yeah, I mean, I like also that it's named Nero after, obviously, Emperor Nero, one of the the uh, the Roman Roman emperors of uh, of legend. So it's it's kind of interesting flavor here. These are two cool flavor cards. I feel like. Yeah, I just I I know that there's going to be situations where Nero Taurus is going to get protected in some way and reap every turn so that you can't fight or will fight into some kind of a, you know, elusive or otherwise, you know, doesn't take damage creature. Um, So to prevent reaping, like it's just those effects can be super impactful, but they're usually just on action cards. Right. So making that Mm -hmm. a repeatable effect, especially on something where you might have the potential to protect that what's making the repeat happen. That's not nothing. No, and I mean, it is a rare as well, so it's not something you're going to see potentially frequently. But yeah, this could be a real game changer. All right. One year of podcasts. So very, very happy uh, that we've been able to do this and so very happy that folks have been listening. Thank you very much, whether this is your first episode or whether you've been with us from the beginning. Um, It means the world to all of us that you would take a little bit of time out of your week just to chill and listen to us chit chat about Keyforge. As always, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find us at HFFS podcast on Twitter. Uh, also on Patreon at patreon.com slash HFFS podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us individually, I'm at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and Twitter and on TCO. Uh, Blake, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight. As well as uh, after this, you can probably find me on United Archons with Jupiter. We got a new episode this week talking about some fun things. I can't wait to hear it. Rick, where can they find you online? On Twitter at uh, the Wheeling Key Forger and the Crucible at Rickster78. This has been wonderful. We'll be back again next week and maybe even for the entirety of next year with new episodes of Help from Future Self. Until then, my friends, stay fortunate.